All right, folks, welcome to another episode of Off the Crossbar. I am your host, Pete Eibner, the coach, and this is my main man, my co-coach, Adam the Miz Mizell, and we are here from the basement of a bank to talk about all things Baltimore soccer, all things national team soccer, all things international soccer, and of course, our show, Coach, is brought to you by none other than the best chiropractor in the business, Dr. Adam Maddox at Ideal Health Chiropractic. He will straighten your spine out and fix you up good. I believe it. I just went to him last week, and before I walked in there, my back was jacked up, Coach. Uh, let me tell you something. I was walking around and moving like, like, like the guy from that movie where he was on the crutches and he was moving weird. Happy Gilmore when the when the car hits him? No, not Happy Gilmore. The other one. The, the, the one with the guy oh, with the... Oh, Meet the Fockers when, when he has his back problems? No, no, no. The other one where he's got the, he's bending over and, and the Cameron Diaz is in it. Oh, there's, there's something about Mary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way I was going into that office. Dr. Adam Maddox used these little... They're like little massage guns and they're like... Fixed my back up and I went out of there. I was like... You know what I was like? You know how I left the building? I was like Carlton. I was doing the Carlton dance all the way down the hall. I felt so good. I feel so great. Thank you, Dr. Adam. You are the man. And now, we are ready to kick off the show. How do we kick off the show, Miz? The mystery question of the week. The mystery question of the week. We get to see what's inside, inside this man's beautiful mind. It could be soccer. It could be football. It could be ice hockey. It could be movies. It could be lizards. It could be anything. What you got for me now? Actually, you were close. You were in the same zip code of the mystery question for this week. A lot of sports things going on. Congratulations to the St. Louis Blues who won the Stanley Cup last night. Game seven in Boston, tough task. They pulled it off. So, uh, and I like, you know, a lot of different sports. Uh, I'm interested. If you are a soccer coach, right, and take us through a 15-second championship game huddle of you coaching a different sport. What sport do you want me to coach? What, your, whatever sport you like. Like, if you weren't a soccer coach, what sport would it be? And then take us in that huddle for that championship game. If I weren't a soccer coach... I would have to say that I would be a football coach. Okay. Because I think football coaches have the best gig in the world because they all have the headsets on. I don't even know if anybody's on the other end. It just looks cool. But for the sake of the mystery question of the day, I want to tell you one of the most fascinating sports I've ever watched is high school badminton. And I would like to be a high school badminton coach or maybe a high school chess coach just so I could yell at a kid. Well, it has to be one or the other. And then Let's, I want that 15 seconds of you bringing the kids in, you're trying to rally them to win the championship game. Give it to us. We are if going it's to badminton, go, let's go. We are going to go with chess. Okay. Because I would like to see just a motivated chess coach. Like, let me tell you something. You guys are playing like a bunch of pawns. You guys aren't moving laterally. You're not moving diagonally. You, you call that crowning, Mizell. You got to get better at the crowning. And then I'd be all over the referee. He's not taking, he's not hitting the clock, ref. He's not hitting the clock. They got to punch the clock. And that's the way I would go with it. And I will say, for the record, that's the most intense 
person or you know intense behavior I've ever seen at chess. Yeah, you would see me thrown out of every chess match, but it would be great. I don't know why chess does not have a coach like that. I feel like Russians always excel at chess. I'm not sure why, but... Because they're drunk. Okay. <laughs> they have the time. They're just hitting the vodka. And they're just thinking of moves, huh? Well, that is the mystery question of the day. Where would I coach if I weren't a soccer coach? And do you have any, anything you would do? What would be your sport? I would probably do hockey. I really love hockey. And, yeah, I mean, that would be mine. Very cool. It wasn't soccer. But... Awesome sport. Want to tell them about the show we got lined up today, Coach? Because we got a big one. We got a great show for you. We're going to go over some of the stuff that's happening on the global setting for soccer. Uh, two big events that occurred in the past couple of days, uh, both on the men's team and women's team. We'll cover that. Um, we have a special guest today, Coach. I, I, I know it. I feel it. It's some guy named Tariq. He's been around. That's right. We're coming up with Baltimore Blast legend Tariq Walker. And, Kay, by the way, can we use the, uh, can we use the Blast theme song? Zod says no. Yep. Okay. But we got Tariq Walker, and of course, this is a week we finally get the one-on-one -on -one interview with Landon Donovan in studio. So we are off the crossbar, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Off the Crossbar. We are now fired up. I'm fired up. How fired up are you? I, I, there's no scale that can tell you. I'm telling you, this is, this is an exciting moment. We have coming to the basement of a bank to do our show a man that needs no introduction anywhere in the civilized world. He is an 11-year veteran of the Baltimore Blast. He won three championships as a player, and who knows how many as a coach, but there was a lot. He also was the head coach of the Harrisburg Heat. He also played on the national team from Granada, or Grenada. I'm not exactly sure how to say it, but he played on their national team. He's right now, as we speak, you can hear the music playing, coach. You can hear it playing. The bank he, security has a personal escort. He's, com he's coming out. He's stepping between the L and the A and the word blast. The lights are going off. There's fireworks. Give it up to number nine in your program, but number one in your hearts, Tariq Walker. Listen to that applause, man. Usually they're not this rambunctious. Yeah, they got to they calm down a little bit. Man, so welcome to the basement of a bank. Yeah. How you doing, buddy? Good? I'm surprised that I'm in the basement of a bank. But yeah, <laughs> all right. We have spared no expense to put you in an underground bunker safe from anything that could go wrong. Yeah. If a nuclear bomb hits Baltimore right now, your soccer career and, 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 keeps moving forward. Right, and I would have you to thank for it, so I appreciate that. No problem, Ed, by the way. <laughs> one thing we got to, excuse me, one thing we got to get him in right away is he's got to learn the wave. I mean, any chance we get to add a member, we got to take full advantage. Okay, so you know how people in Jeeps, when they pass each other, they, they, get, they give this? Yeah, they, okay. You know how people on motorcycles, when they drive by, they give this? Yeah. Well, because we are, are, are in the head-shaving club, when we see each other, we greet like this. <laughs> so, right. Tariq, welcome to the club. Yeah. There it right. is. Yep, there he's got it. it. Yep. There it is. Our wolf pack used to be just me and co-coach Adam. Then Timmy Whitman joined, right? And then I saw a guy at a gas station, but I'm not sure what his name was, but he gave me the... 
and now you. Our wolf pack is now five. There we go. A five-man wolf pack running through Baltimore, hiding in the basement of a bank. Join the movement. I love it. I love it. So, Tariq, tell us, where did you start playing, how did you start playing, and how did you get so good? Oh, well, I uh, started back when I was five years old, living in D.C. Uh, my dad was uh, All-American at Howard University, and so that's what got me started. He played for a Grenada national team as well, and so I uh, started at a young age and just went on from there. So when, when you were playing, who were the, the coaches that, uh, that drove you a little bit? Well, I had some very good coaches when I was younger, but uh, my club team coach, when we really started to really develop into playing some serious soccer, was Sonny Askew at that time. And so uh, that was very, very motivating to play for him. Absolutely. Sonny Askew, by the way, pound for pound, best player ever to come out of Baltimore. Which is a timeless debate. Yeah, well, I would love to have that debate with all, all, all who, who dare to step to the basement but of the bank. But he's certainly in the conversation, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. so, so you, you go in, you're playing your youth soccer for Sonny. Where does that lead? Well, I know from there, it led to playing at Virginia Tech. I got a scholarship to Virginia Tech, played for Jerry Cheney there. Uh, and um, uh, from there, you know, I ended up playing against the Baltimore team, playing against UMBC a couple times, and uh, the guys from the Blast and the Spirit at the time saw me playing against UMBC and drafted me uh, here to Baltimore. So what was that like? You, you're, you're, you're a D.C. guy. You get to come home, right? You're essentially coming home. You get to play at a, at a pretty cool era in Baltimore soccer. Uh, uh, the, the Spirit, if, if I remember the timeline, they kind of went through a rough patch, mm. but right when you got there, things started to turn around, right? Yeah, it did start to turn around. I think they had uh, the blast had just folded, and they had a couple years in the NPSL with the Spirit. Um, and when I came back to, uh, when I got drafted by the Spirit, we were in the NPSL, and it started to grow, and that league was growing. And um, so it was a good time, but it was a little bit of a change from folks that were um, remembering the blast name and trying to now learn the spirit again. Right, right. I, I want you to be completely honest. When you were on the spirit, I want you to tell us and the viewers, uh, how excited were you to have Jolly Rancher as a sponsor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, when I was on the spirit, it was actually uh, Long and Foster was a, uh, was a okay. sponsor. And then, uh, yeah, Jolly Rancher was there a couple times. So, yeah. Um, I got a sweet tooth, so I had no problem with it. It's good. Did you get three Jolly Ranchers? <laughs> well, I wish we did, but we didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. They did not, because I'm telling you right now, you put me in charge of the Spirit and Jolly Ranchers. You guys are on a sugar high pregame every. Yeah, I am feeding yeah. you Jolly Ranchers. Yeah. You guys are going to be lit up before the game. Yeah, I was a blow pop kid when I was coming up, so um, always had a few blow pops in the locker room and. Hit one at halftime, hit one before the game, so I was definitely on some sugar highs, even though it was a Jolly Rancher. Okay. <laughs> and by the way, that is why he was number nine, because every time he went to the dentist, nine cavities. So that's how he got to be number nine. So how did you get to be number nine on a serious note? Uh, seriously, uh, it was just a number that I always liked. Um, one of my favorite players uh, wore it, and so... Um, that was one of the things that I just wanted when I, when I came out. Yeah, now what, what's cool is, is sometimes numbers follow you, right? So, so sometimes it'll be like your idol wears that number. You wear that number. That number's pretty big in your family, yeah? 
Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a number that's going to stick now, we think. So uh, I'm happy about starting that tradition, and hopefully my kids carry on. Very Your son's cool. playing now. Is he nine? Yes, he there was number nine. Yep. Very cool. Yep. So, uh, okay, so let's talk about now Now you're in Baltimore, you're with the Spirit. Um, uh, where does that tie into your appearance with, uh, with Granada? Well, that whole time that I was playing uh, indoor, I was also playing outdoor. Right. Uh, we were playing with the Bays here uh, under Kev Coach Kevin. Was that USISL? Uh, USISL at that time, yeah. And so um, there was a little bit of a transition from folks that were playing in the a ASL. Mm -hmm. um, that broke the, broke up and people were transferring into the USISL. And so during that time, I was traveling and uh, playing for Grenada at the same time while I was playing indoor. Okay. And how? And what was your biggest game playing for them? Grenada, we were in the World Cup. So I had two World Cup caps against uh, Haiti. Um, so my biggest game probably was uh, the road game uh, in Haiti, um, where it was just uh, the atmosphere was unbelievable. Uh, tons of people, tons of crowds, tons of fans, people banging on your bus on the way into the stadium. So uh, wow, that, that what was, year was that this? Was that was 1999. Okay, yep. Yep. that is incredible. And that was building up into the 2000 uh, World Cup. Very cool. Yep. Would you say that's one of the best experiences that you had as a soccer player, uh, or better yet, what was your best experience as a player? I think that was 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 one of those that uh, kind of set the tone for what. Um, you want it to be right. Um, you're always thinking about accomplishing certain things, and I don't know about you know. We didn't have the the team results that we wanted, but individually, um, you can look back on that time and say I, I learned from it. Right. Um, another big game we had. I was played in Milwaukee um, in front of 17,000 in a game seven. Wow. Uh, of uh, indoor nationals uh, final. So um, some definitely some big games that you always feel like you developed and. Under pressure. Uh, so you, from. so you, um, how do you as a player like when you because they're very different. Although the, there's fundamentally similar, there's some fundamental similarities between them. But how do you as a player when you're making a transition to go to an outdoor, you know, environment where you're playing in, in World Cup scene, and then you've got to hurry up and put it all together and then go play indoor. Like how does that for a player? How does that play into the psyche? And how do you? make those adjustments like that? I, I loved it. The transition from indoor to outdoor, um, just because you were playing in such a confined space all the time and, and it's the speed of play and the ball never goes out. I always felt like when I was transitioned from indoor to outdoor, that was the easiest part. Um, the transition from outdoor to indoor was a little bit more difficult. Um, when you're playing with time and space in outdoor, um, going from indoor to outdoor and enjoying that time and space that I had felt like, uh, you know, I had all day to play. Sure. Um, but transitioning from outdoor back into indoor, that was a little bit more difficult because then you had to pick up the speed of play and, and movement. Sure. Makes yeah. sense. So. Now, did you, did you specifically train a certain way for your, your outdoor season or, and then, then, or specifically for your indoor season? If so, what did you do? What was the difference? I think the difference mainly was the cardio. Mm -hmm. um, indoor, it's quick uh, sprint burst and where you can take the time and, and get off the field when you're tired. But outdoor, you have to extend your cardio a little bit. So that was the little differences that you would take a little week or so to kind of extend your cardio a little bit longer runs uh, in order to play the outdoor season. Well, yeah, when you look at it, 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 
it's funny when you watch kids play indoor soccer. Some coaches will leave the kids on there yeah. for eight minutes at a time. I don't know how yeah, they do it. Yeah. I have no clue. Yeah. But you watch the pros, and they're playing like boom, 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 boom off the field. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. It's they're all they're shifts. Can you do that again for us? Boom, 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 <laughs> boom, boom, boom <laughs> off the field. Okay. That's actually the sound that they make. You just yeah. can't hear it because they got uh they got Lady Gaga playing on the loudspeaker right, during right, the game. Sure. But. They, uh, they, the, the shifts that's, are... that's one thing I always say is indoor is a completely different game. And if you sure. leave kids on too long, um, they're not getting to their full potential of what they can do on the field. And it's supposed to be an up and down sport. Right. And if you're on the field four or five minutes where you're standing around, you're not doing the right thing playing indoor. Yeah, I agree with you. But, but pros there, sometimes you're on for a minute. Yeah. Not sometimes even. Sometimes 30 yeah. seconds. Sometimes yeah. 30 seconds, depending on situations. Uh, it's a very situational game, and so uh, depending on how long you're on and what you're doing and what, what situations that play out, you could be definitely on the field for 45 seconds or so. Yeah, so you, you go, let's go, we're, we're in the blast, right? You're, you're in the blast on like, a, let, let's call it like a resurrection. Uh, blasts were big in the early 80s. It was the one thing to do. Uh, it, 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 Colts had just left town. There was, it, it was just bedlam here about indoor soccer, mm -hmm. and then it kind of went through a phase where it kind of dropped off. Not, I don't know about the play, but the interest maybe dropped off a little bit. You're here, the group of guys that you came up with in the blast kind of brought through a resurrection of indoor soccer to Baltimore, and, and that might still be carried on today. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it, it definitely was a transition stage where um, the MPSL turned into the MISL and now into the, what the league is now, and some teams dropped off. Um, some ri local rivalries with Philadelphia dropped off, with right. Harrisburg dropped off for a little while. So there was a stage where the, team, the league itself had to build itself back up. And now it's really booming where there's 40-something you know, teams across the nation. Yeah. Um, the attraction of the sport itself is... Uh, you know, when you had the changes between the point systems and all, and I think mm -hmm. they've really um, squared it down to a, a point system that they really like and enjoy, and it's bringing the fan back to understanding the game as, as it is right now. Yeah. So b based on when you played and, like, the play that you see now and, and just as you just finished up uh, your coaching career in it, but do you feel like the, the level is about the same? Is, there, is it worse? Is it better? Like, where do you see from when you played overall to now? Like, well, where do you think, think the it skills, is? I think the skills is, uh, it has improved in the game. Has it? Um, the players are a lot quicker, um, bigger, faster, stronger. It's always what you see in all sports now. And so that has improved the game. Um, there's a little bit of toughness and grit that could come up in the game that we had back then. Um, a little bit more competition a bit. Um, uh, I can't really say that, you know, you want the, uh, the fighting and all that we used to do a little bit in the games is, is out of it now, and, and that's probably good for the sport. Um, but, you know, there's a little bit of grit there that you also like as a player, and you don't really see sometimes here. But um, I think the sport's gotten better, and again, you know, for fans that really like the up and down, I think the sport's doing really well. Who are the guys that you came up with with the blast? That, that, like, if, if you had to think, like, guys that I did this with, that I accomplished this with, what, what circle of guys? And I know you, it's hard because you always leave somebody out by mistake, and then you got to call them up and go, hey, man, I, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. I don't want to put you in that kind of spot, but yeah. you had a really special group, and a lot sure. of guys that 
played their college in Baltimore that I thought was like a really unique thing. Can oh, you yeah. talk about a couple, that? A couple of guys that come to mind, Lance Johnson, uh, Barry Stitz, uh, Jason Dieter, uh, Derek Marcano. Uh, those were the guys that were in that group uh, that was really trying to, to bring the sport up and trying to compete. And we made it close a few times, but um, you remember the guys that really pushed you the most uh, yeah. in that sport. Um, I was very lucky to play for a long time. So I had a couple of, of the older guys that I played with, um, the Joe Bargers, the Joe Kozels, mm -hmm. and then you know with the Barry Stitzes, and then a couple of younger guys, the P.J. Wakefields, the Jules Salenza, right, uh, right. Uh, Mike Looking Lands, and those guys, uh, Neto, Neto, and that crew. So uh, you know when you played a long time in the same sport and in the same city, yeah, you, it, you have players that you played with that always influence what you do. Was there a cooler name that you ran across in, in your indoor career than my favorite name of all time in the indoor game, which is the goalkeeper Zoltan Toth? That is a great name. It's a great name. He had a great af like a Afro mullet going on. It was beautiful. I mean, right, and right. he's got the coolest name. I mean, was he intimidating? Uh, Zoltan, I never played against Zoltan, okay. so I, I can't really say that, but... Uh, you know, Denison was always the, the recognizable name. You got the tattoos. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Those guys. So, uh, you know, it was a great sport with some good characters and, and some good memories. Who's the goalie that used to have the parrot? Uh, parrot. There was a guy yes, that had a parrot, about. and he would put it in the back of the goal. Yeah, I played at Kansas City, played with me in Harrisburg, too. Uh, you just put me on I the spot. I don't remember there. that. I'll get a picture of it. We got to find out who that yeah, is. Yeah, we'll find out. All right. We'll find out. So, um, you're 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 now with the blast. You got a group of of, of younger guys. Uh, you mentioned Barger. Um, you mentioned some other guy, Koziel. Were they the guys that kind of fostered you into the league and taught you this is the way we do things? This is how you win. This is what you got to get really good at. Yeah, that Bill Ronson was another one that. Um, when I first came into the league, was was playing with the, the outdoor bays, and mm -hmm. I think he the most was the one guy that said, "All right, you're playing this position. You need to be in that spot, that spot." Against learning how to use the walls, right. use it, learning how to use the boards. Uh, I think he was the biggest influence uh, at the beginning of my career. Right. Yeah. Now, now, so now let's take us through. You, you have success. You're playing. Now the younger guys come in. Did you take more of a leadership role in showing them this is how it's done like Billy did for you? Or was that more of a group effort between you and, and guys like Barry or Jason or Derek or Lance? The guys that you mentioned, did, did, was it more of a, was there one of you that, that, that taught better? That, I think around that time um, when the younger guys started coming in, it was myself, uh, Lee Chisantra, Danny yeah. Kelly, yeah. Um, David Bascom. So we had a, a, still a veteran core around. Uh, when those guys were coming in, so I didn't have to shoulder it all myself. Obviously, when you were, um, I had Michelle Millwood was playing my position at that time. Uh, Neto was playing my position at that time. Right. So I, I feel like I helped them with a positional sense, um, but I didn't have to shoulder it all myself with those core guys that were there. That's you know what that's fascinating. When you drop those names, you realize how good the blast were because. Those are some players right there. Top shelf players. Yeah, and and you 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 know time goes by and you forget, like, you know, is, is Giuliano Salenza one of the best finishers I've ever seen? And and it, you put a ball on his foot, he can he he'll kick it in the net. 
you know, it's, it's incredible what he can do. But when you take a goal scorer like that and surround him with the kind of talent you just mentioned, what a recipe for success. Yeah, and I think that's what, what where Baltimore had the biggest success was. We always filtered in some youth, um, but we're always able to keep the core uh, veterans around them to help those youthful players come in. So how did that, did, did that, was that a natural transition to then go, hey, I'm playing, yeah, maybe the knees aren't working as well, maybe, you know, I got other things going on in my life, I can't train the way I used to train, so now I'm going to coach, or, or how did you get on the other side of the wall where you're wearing a suit and tie? Yeah, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, for every player, you kind of fall off, you lose a step, so to speak, is what they call it. Um, so it was partly that. I had an injury, uh, ankle surgery one year. Um, that helped me out. So um, coaching staff looked at, to me to help, to still mm -hmm. help with the team. And um, so I started off as an assistant and uh, was an assistant with Tim and Bobby McEvan and then assistant with uh, Danny Kelly. So um, that helped uh, me as far as um, trying to guide players. Yeah. And then once you start getting a feel of, you know, how responsive players are to you, you start to feel like, all right, this is something that I want to do. Sure. And, um, and just moved on forward from there. Yeah, that, that, that's a, it's a, I'm sure it's a tough transition, but for you, as they, you know, as they say, Mother Nature's undefeated and uh, Father Time's undefeated. Mm -hmm. so what if Mother Nature got in a fight with Father Time? That'd be unbelievable, <laughs> wouldn't it? That would be amazing. That'd be right, awesome. Right, right. But, like, uh, so, you know, as you, you can kind of accept that, you know, hey, look, it's time now to get, get into the, to the more coaching aspect of it, but... Uh, did you feel like players were receptive to your information that you were kind of yeah, giving I did, out? Or? I, I did. I, you know, we luckily we had a good group of players at that time um, that were they were like sponges, um, sponges for the information, and so um, anything we passed along, we felt like they were receptive to. And uh, um, when you start to see how players respond to your to your thoughts and everything, that kind of encourages you to do more. So. Um, that's how I felt around that time. Um, yes, I had an injury and I wanted to come back from an injury. I always said to myself, I, wouldn't, I did not want an injury to put me out of the game. Right, right. Um, so I, I did try to come back from that injury. I played one more season. And then after that, it just felt um, natural that the coaching bit would come on. Yeah. So we just had a, re we just had a referee in here last week um, and we were talking about different things. But Give us, there's got to be a situation where as a, you're just coaching now and you're in the game and it's an important game or whatever, and the, the officiating's horrible, um, and Tariq Walker gets his first ejection as a coach. <laughs> um, it actually happened not too long ago. I was uh, coaching Harrisburg and the referees were not going in our direction and uh, I had a pen in my hand and somehow it just slipped out of my hand and went off oh, the field yeah, right. and I got thrown out, so... <laughs> Um. But in fairness, <laughs> how slippery are some of those pens? If they don't have the grips, I don't know how you can hold on to it. Yeah, I, and I don't know I how you can be held responsible. I don't know how. Just, you know, inches away from the referee. I just don't know. Was how. it a big call no, that, that, that kind of... Yeah, we got a goal taken away from ah, us okay. uh, in that play. So um, I guess he felt like I threw it, but I didn't throw it at him, so... It's unbelievable. Uh, pens are slippery, folks. It happens. It happens. In fact, I'm so, that is why Baltimore County schools are doing everything now on computers because there's so many children being injured by slippery pens. Slippery pens. That'll do it every time. One other question before we move on. I got to ask this question. It, 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 
it, it, it boggles my mind. Not in a bad way. I don't lose sleep over it. Kenny Cooper used to wear a tuxedo to coach indoor soccer. Mm-hmm. Every coach since then wears a suit to coach indoor soccer. Why? Um, it's, there's professionalism in, in coaching. Uh, I think uh, when you look at other sports, basketball, football doesn't. When you look at other sports, basketball, hockey, uh, whatever you want to look at, there are guys are in suits, and that's the professionalism of the sport. But, but why? <laughs> like, like, why? Are you, like, so, so, okay, let's take football, for example. Is Bill Belichick any less professional than he wears a sweatshirt with the sleeves cut off? I mean, I guess not. Right, right. I just, and it's not a bad or good. I, I don't, I don't, but it always struck me like, I used to think Kenny Cooper did it kind of as like, because it was an event. And then I watched some guys that they're wearing suits and I always wonder, well, like I could never coach in a suit. You will <laughs> never see me at a Perry Hall game or an FCUSA game wearing a suit. In fact, I was coaching at UMBC one time and we were playing, I think it was Boston University and the guy had a scarf. He had a suit and a scarf on. And I wanted to tackle him. I don't even know this guy. He's probably the nicest coach on the planet, but he's wearing You see a... guys in MLS wear suits. I think at some point someone did it, and now everyone else wanted to follow suit, pardon the pun, but I think that's, <laughs> that's like probably what happened. Like someone did it to say, hey, I'm going to wear a suit today because, you know, is there something that you gain out? I don't know. Like, What's the guy, the German coach, Jurgi Love? He, he comes with the, the club V-neck sweater. Right, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But, but he has not a suit, you know. I mean, like, they, I guess there's different degrees of, of how they dress up, but um, I don't know what the, the function is. You got the guys that dress like Pep because they want to be like Pep. Sure, dress sure. With the sweaters and the tight jeans. and Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's how they do it. I don't know. I don't know, but I'm thinking about wearing a tuxedo in my next game. Because you want to be like Cooper. Because I want to be like Kenny Cooper. (laughs) All right, we are off the crossbar. We'll be right back. We have had a busy week of international soccer, folks. Some good, some bad. Miz, what are we jumping off with today? The men's loss, three to nothing to Venezuela. Got wrenching. I have to ask this question. How the freak do you lose... To Venezuela. Tariq? Um, that you don't score goals. Okay, that is, that, is the, that is the true answer. You lose because you don't score goals. <laughs> but it's Venezuela. Venezuela, th- th- we can't lose to Venezuela. Well, U.S. has things that Venezuela does not have. Like, I don't know, running water comes to mind. We have running water. Electric? Electricity! We have electricity. Venezuela, not so much. I have a picture of the Venezuelan, uh, uh, the warm-up field, their training grounds. Look at this. Looks like a herring run. It's worse than herring run. They would, if the national team trained at herring run, they might have an excuse. We train on lavish fields. We train with the highest level of, of of equipment and data and research and and we have we have $300 shoes right <laughs> these guys are playing in bare feet it was very upsetting to watch the you know the Venezuelan forward just torch our backs i mean now you know 
Having said that, there were some bounces that were favorable for them. Uh, the one where the ball hits the post and comes out, it's like directly to him and he's able to tap it in. But uh, aside from that, just a poor performance overall. But the shot that hits, hit the post, no one defended at all. Right. It was like it was like Greg Berhalter, by the way, Greg Berhalter. I mean, Greg, Greg? Greg. His name Greg. is spelled G-R-E-G-G. Greg. <laughs> Listen, Coach Greg. Defend! It's Venezuela! Yes. I, I mean, I just, it just was tough to watch. It is. It's, it's, uh, I mean, I will say this. Like, everybody is, is immediately jumping on Burhalter and, 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 and I, I mean, for me, it's like this. It's like, I don't know that he's had enough body of work where we can really, you know, judge him yet as far as, like, his performance. Um, I think he has... He, he, he probably has a right to, to maybe have some time with the group and, and maybe try to develop the things that he wants to develop to play the way he wants to play and, and maybe, you know, curtail the personnel to it. Uh, I don't know that he's had that amount of time yet. Um, and, you know, here in America, we're very, you know, we want instant gratification all the time. And so I, I understand, that the, but your point is correct. I mean, Having said all that, in a you know in a country where we had 330 million and they have maybe 40 million, um, there has to be a better performance in there somewhere. There has to be a better 11 guys. I'm going to say this: this is not an indictment on Greg Gugugugu Birdhalter. It's not. It's not. I'm saying it goes much deeper. This starts with U.S. Soccer and what they've done from top to bottom. Now maybe it'll get fixed. Maybe this is just one of those anomalies. But I'm not so sure. Tariq, what's your thought? Oh, I think uh, when you look at MLS and the development of players, non-U.S. players, it's really helped those other countries. Um, their better players are coming into MLS and developing. And so I, I really think that um, you can't really say, you know, if the U.S. has a pool of 100 players, probably our bottom 100 players in our U.S. pool are about the same as, uh, as the other countries. I can't really say that uh, that we have superior players from one to one hundred uh, that can outmatch um, these other countries that we're playing friendlies against. If you're playing for Granada and you're playing Venezuela, oh, we take them. Yeah, of course you would take, them. take them. How many people are in Grenada? Uh, probably about. 25, 30. 25 people total in the country, <laughs> and they could beat Venezuela. If you're playing for Bob's Tavern on a Tuesday night at Maryland Sports Arena, can you take Venezuela? Yeah, Christos could take Bob's Tavern. I think a Christos team would probably take Venezuela. Okay. <laughs> so, I, I, and I got to want to say one thing, and I don't mean to be insulting here, or, or maybe I do. But does Greg Gugabert Halter, does he remind you of anybody? Because you know who he reminds me of? You ever seen like any kind of alien documentary when they talk about the greys? The greys. And they come <laughs> and they got these long arms. They, that's who he reminds me of. But I mean that in a loving way, the same way that I, I mean that Bob Bradley reminded me of Voldemort. <laughs> I would say this. If Greg Birdhalter loses to Venezuela again, he's going to be gone. <laughs> because, like, you, you only get one of the, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, you only kind of sure. get one of those, and, and at that point, he would have had more time to instill his, his systems and all that, and, and it's just, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it can't happen again. But it, it feels like we're spinning wheels. Where do you think? Where do you think it goes wrong? Where do you think that the root of the spinning wheel starts? Where Where are we talking, Tariq? Well, I agree with you completely. It starts from the bottom up. I mean, I think uh, you know some of the structures that we have in the U.S. soccer system itself uh, is hindering um, the U.S. national team. Like, what What things do you think? If you had to pick one or two, what What things? If you you are now put in charge of U.S. soccer. You are King Biscuit. You are sitting high upon the throne. you got to make changes. What's well, the first thing you do? I think the first thing that I do is um, get rid of pay-to-play in some of our structures. Um, some of our academies where you have to pay to play. Some of our state teams where you have to pay to play. I just don't feel like you get the best product when you do that. So. That would be one thing that I would change is some of the structures of ODP and some of the structures of our DA Academy, I would get rid of the pay-to-play in those structures. Are you a fan of the DA Academy? I am a fan of the DA, uh, but it's not for everybody. Right. Um, your situations are different. Your locations uh, in the country are different. And so uh, I do like the DA system, but I don't think it's fit for every player. Well, the flip side is... And we'll jump right into it on the other side. If we do a complete 180, the girls have the opposite problem. They're winning by too big a margin, some say, right? Could Grenada beat <laughs> Thailand? <laughs> Could the U.S. men beat Thailand? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. I would hope. We're, we're <laughs> hanging on to the positives. Well, now the question becomes, can the U.S. women beat the U.S. men? Let's start off, can the U.S. women beat Venezuela? I like our chances. <laughs> <laughs> U.S. women put the hurt on Thailand. 13 goals. Now, instead of celebrating the fact that our women's team is very strong, they are catching grief for not being sportsmanlike, not calling off the dogs, running up the score. Your thoughts? I don't mind the score. Uh, I think if it's 13, if it went to 20, uh, I wouldn't mind um, running. I wouldn't call it running up the score when you're at that level of play. Um, but I do think some of the celebrations were a bit over the top. Um, maybe because I didn't understand what the whole kick thing was. <laughs> right. <laughs> that she was, maybe because I, I don't understand what she was doing. Maybe that's why I don't like it. But I do feel like some of the celebration was a little bit over the top. I don't mind the score being right up though. And, and it's funny, in youth soccer, you hear this all the time, like, we, we played, our team's, you know, 10U or, or whatever it is, young kids. We played this team, and every time they scored, it was like the World Cup, right? Right. So now this is the World Cup, okay? And it's like, um, but at what point, and it, it, it's, you know, everyone's going to have their different opinion about it, but for me... Once the game's killed off and you know it's, it's pretty much over, you're about taking care of the back, not, not affording a goal to the other team or conceding yeah. one, um, the game's over with, I'm resting my best players at that point. I get three changes and, and whatever. I'm going to make those changes, get you know, my studs off the field, rest those kids, make sure that health is key and not giving up a goal is key. We've won. I know that there's goal differential involved and all that, but um, you know, I, I, for me, after we get to six, seven, it's like, okay, this thing's over with safety's number one, getting out of here healthy. Um, let's rest some kids. And, you know, the, the, the excess celebrations, 
just not a huge fan. And the reason I say that is because if it were the other way around, if we're playing, you know, France and it could happen and they're running up the score on us 13 to nothing and their girls are celebrating and, and having a good old time, United States and Americans as a whole be the first ones to complain about that. It's just, and no one can convince me otherwise. You know, you had said something to me and it stuck with me. You said this about two years ago, maybe three years ago, talking about high school soccer. And what you said was, when we're winning, I want us to enjoy it, but I don't want my sidelines to be a party. Correct. And, and that's yeah. kind of where I felt that we got. But, but I also see the flip side. It is not the United States women's soccer team job to stop playing soccer to the best of their ability. Yeah. It's Thailand's job to stop them from scoring. And, and if you don't like what's going on in the game, well, it's partially your fault. And I cannot fault a woman for scoring a goal in a, in a World Cup game. Maybe it's her first World Cup. Maybe she comes on as a substitute and it's her first goal in, as a national team player. I don't know. But I can't take away their joy and happiness and their celebration. Now, you get into a subjective area. Is that taunting? Is that bad sportsmanship? I don't know. I see it as joy of a big moment. Yeah, and like I said, I don't, I don't mind the score. I think the score line was appropriate for what we saw. Um, I can't fault players from wanting to go to goal, especially at that level of soccer. If we're at U10 soccer, I would say, all right, we're at five or six, let's call the dogs off right. a bit. But um, at that World Cup level, scoring is, is what you do. And I, when you have the goal differentials and all that can come into play, uh, when there's tiebreakers, I don't mind that. Um, I just think that there are certain parts of the celebration that, that were a little bit over the top. Um, like I don't, and I think it went beyond being joyful. Right. And, and fair enough. I mean, that is a valid point. Um, but let's shift gears for one second. Let's stop talking about the, the possible negative. Let's talk about the women's national team. Playing Thailand or not, 13 goals sets a world record. It, it's not easy to do. And the speed that they showed, very impressive. Your thoughts? No, I thought there was a complete performance um, from top to bottom. I thought the defenders played well, obviously keeping the clean sheet. Um, offensively, they played well. They were clinical around the box, and so um, I thought they played great. I give them a 10 score out of 10. Yeah, I don't know how you can complain. They did, you can't complain they didn't score 14. Yeah, right, right. Two touchdowns, hey. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I'm just so happy our team's very good. Uh, and they play the schedule that's in front of them. It's, it's a responsibility of Thailand to be competitive. And, you know, if, if they're not, then, then they need to do some work. Just like for us in the men's side, we have some work to do. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy. And if we score 15, we score 15. Uh, if we score 20, it's 20. Whatever it takes to get the job done. The girls got the job done. They're moving on into the next match. And hopefully they can make a serious run at this World Cup. By the way, second meet the parents reference of the show. I don't know how it happens, but me and you, simpatico. Uh, I, every time I hear the word Thailand, I think Jack Talk Thai. Jack Talk Thai. <laughs> Jack Talk Thai real good. So, Jack Talk Thai. Um, the travel agents was Dor Svensson, wasn't it? Uh, that you got me on. You, 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 have a, you have a better mind than I. That's why you have the mystery question of the day. How about 
Alex Morgan, talk about her a little bit. Wow, what a performance. Yeah, and con considering she hadn't scored in a few games prior to the World Cup, uh, I thought she had a really breakout game. And uh, again, when you talk about clinical around the box, I mean, she had some um, left foot benders, uh, some nice little flicks in the box, and I thought she was great. Couldn't miss from inside. I mean, she was just dynamite the entire match. And it's, it's really great. It's, it's really great that the United States always seems to have that finisher on the national team for the women. And that's, that's something I wish, if, if we had it on the men's side, it would make life a lot easier. But Alex Morgan, you watch her as a player develop and, and to where she is now. Do you think she's the best finisher in the world? She's up there. You know, there's a few others on the, on the women's team that you're seeing in this tournament. Uh, but she's definitely in the conversation for me. Yeah, I would put, definitely put her in the top five. Uh, I think uh, Carly Lloyd is up there as one of the yeah, top, top for finishers sure. in the world. And so, uh, you know, happy to have both of them on our squad. Yeah. Now, um, where do you think the United States falls? Like, so, so they've just won their opening game huge, right? Most likely getting out of their bracket. Where do they fall? Are, are, they, are they favored to win, in your opinion? Do they get to the finals? Do they get to the semifinals? Where do you see them? I mean, I see them going as far as uh, they, could, they could potentially get into the final. Um, they could end up winning this. I really think we have the pieces to win it all. I think we're going to need a few bounces. I think we're going to need to make sure that, you know, the performances by everyone is good. Um, if, if, if collectively, if all the girls come in and, and they put forth their best performance in every match, I feel like we have enough to win it all. Yeah, I think uh, from the games that I've seen, I think France is going to be a contender. I think U.S. is going to be a contender. I thought Germany, although they didn't score a lot of goals, were, were pretty strong. Um, so I see those three as, as teams that could go all the way. Yeah, I tell you what, I, I, would, I will love it if there is a USA-France matchup. That would be just a fantastic game and worth the hype for sure. Must see TV, no doubt. All right. Well, now, transitioning. Favorite part of the show, boss. <laughs> All right. Do you know what this is? I don't. All right. So, you might not know this about Adam and me, but we are follically challenged. <laughs> All right. And I will tell you this, Tariq. This was once a great civilization of hair. I had a mullet that was unbelievable. Dare I say Patrick Swayze-esque. Mm, okay. And so we honor probably the best mullet of all time, Patrick Swayze, with this next segment. Did you ever have it long in the back? Not long in the back, but I had it long. I had an afro in college, a senior nice. year of college. I had a little bit of a puff. Did, it go, did you go round or did you go up? Did you fade it? No, it was, it was round. It was round. It's the one I could buy at Party City. It's it like, that, round, like yeah. that one. Can it you get me a picture of that? <laughs> I don't know if I took pictures of that, but... I got to um, see it. I probably burned them, too. Once <laughs> All right. So there are a lot of mullets we could use here. It could be Roadhouse, because Roadhouse... Dalton, that was a great mullet. Could great be Point mullet. Break. Could be what else? The Bleach Blonde mullet from Point Break. Yeah, long, Young Bloody had some great mullets in that movie. Yeah, we could even go away Dirty from the mullet food. a little bit, and we could go with Outsiders. Yeah. When he was a greaser. Dirty Dancing, if you, if you like that yeah, movie. A little bit of a little, yeah, yeah. 
Nobody puts baby in the corner, Nobody. Tariq. Nobody <laughs> puts baby in the corner. So we give one player, one player, the Patrick Swayze Player of the Week and the right to earn the mullet and wear the mullet for a week. Tell us who it is this week, Miz. I'm not sure that, that she needs any additional hair, but uh, she's World Cup record-breaking Alex Morgan. Alex Morgan, five. Five goals against Thailand. Five. You ever score five on anybody? Uh, I think I did. Yeah, once, once Who'd time. you get? Cleveland Crunch in the playoffs. Uh, I think it was five. Five exact. Good That's night, indoor, huh? though. Indoor. Yeah. That's indoor. That that is outdoor. Outdoor. That is, a, that is an incredible <laughs> feat. So, here's what we're going to do. But in fairness, wasn't there like four players that scored five or no, no never mind that's mathematically math. that's impossible right, <laughs> but here we go miss alex morgan we are taking you and giving you the patrick swayze player of the week look at that mullet just look at her just look at her you oh. thought she was gorgeous before much better now all right Tariq, thank you for coming by buddy thank you. thanks thank Tariq. you thank you Oh my gosh! You know we forgot to do. We didn't. We ran out of time. Landon Donovan, our apologies. We will get to you in the next episode of Off the Crossbar. I am the coach, Pete Ivner. This is co-coach Adam the Miz Mizell. Special thanks to our very special guest, number one in your program, number nine in your hearts, Tariq Walker.